like following Jesus to be a disciple, that word means to be a learner and to be an apprentice. And that means that we as Christians are learning to live as Jesus would if he were in our place. And I think so often what it means to be a Christian has, that's lost its power in a country where there is a cultural, there's still a cultural sort of clout to be gained from, from, from being a Christian in some ways, right? Because that's still the norm, even if it's a particular shape, shape and shade of Christianity. Welcome to all God's children. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go and talk about that taboo trinity, race, religion, and politics. Thank you for joining the Raceless Gospel Podcast, where we gather this season for some bodybuilding and to discuss whether the church is a body or a building. I am your host and podcast pastor, Starlet Thomas. On today's podcast, I am joined by Justin Fung, who serves as the pastor of leadership and spiritual formation at Christ City Church in Washington, D.C. In this episode, we'll examine why Christians struggle to support each other. But first, won't you pray for us and with me? To the God who is head and shoulders above us, and yet comes out head first to walk among us, word became flesh so that we could get a feel for what you were saying. We confess that we still lack understanding, even though Jesus showed us the way step by step from first breath to his dying day. We were all supposed to arrive together, head, shoulders, knees, and toes. How is it then that your body cannot come together? Members of one another, we're not merely joined at the hip. Still, we can't get our act together, satisfied with lip service. We point fingers instead of shouldering the responsibility for each other, because the mere possibility of power has us weak at the knees, because being in proximity to power will bring us to our knees. Please forgive us for pretending that we knew all the answers because we went inside of a building once or twice a week, when we should have just shrugged our shoulders and bent our knees in prayer asking for the strength to stand as a body rather than split down the middle over a building. Amen. Somebody prayed for me, had me on their mind, took the time to pray for me. I'm so glad they prayed. I'm so glad they prayed. I'm so glad they prayed for me. First, giving honor to God, who is the head of my life, to the pastor, visitors, saints, friends, and especially to those who prayed for me. I'm so glad somebody prayed for me. I rely on intercession. When the words are lodged too deep in my throat and no amount of cough drops or hot tea will move them. I even try to nudge them, coax them out with the promise that they will never have to say it again. Just come together this one time and pray with me. I want someone to pray for me when I cannot pray for myself, when I feel that there are no words left. My grandmother's dead. 
and she's the one who I would turn to. Now I turn to dead trees, resurrected as pages of this book or another. I turn the page and say, talk back to me. I am pacing the floor, opening and closing cabinet drawers and closet doors. I'm looking for a way in or a way out of what I am going through, what the entire world is going through, and still the church is going to give us more of the same. No changes in the program, no chance we're coming together, no matter how long or how hard we pray Jesus' prayer for unity. I am tired of shaking my fist at the television and the sky. I've turned one off and tuned another out. Still, I can hear God's voice, still and small. Words knee high, meet me where I am and hum until I start singing. Somebody prayed for me, had me on their mind, took the time to pray for me. I'm so glad they prayed. I'm so glad they prayed. I'm so glad they prayed for me. Our scripture reading is taken from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4 and verses 1 through 6, which read this way in the New Revised Standard Version. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is Reverend Starlet Thomas, your podcast pastor, and we'll be right back. Baptist Women in Ministry is celebrating its 40th anniversary in 2023. Baptist Women in Ministry, BWIM, will gather in Louisville, Kentucky, October 2nd through the 4th to celebrate. Louisville, it's where BWIM's founding mothers met 40 years ago to begin the movement. The celebration will include the premiere of a documentary about BWIM's founding, plenary sessions, times of worship, connection and self-care, and a banquet to honor BWIM's four mothers. Join Baptist Women in Ministry this October in Louisville. Learn more and register at bwim.com. Info. This is Reverend Starlet Thomas welcoming you back to this episode of the Raceless Gospel Podcast. I want to introduce to some and present again to others Justin Fung, who is also the author of Learning to Live a curriculum for cultivating spiritual transformation in multi-ethnic contexts. For today's sermon, we will engage in the tradition of call and response, a sacred back and forth, 
feel free to join in as an official member of the Amen Corner and chime in as we do some bodybuilding. A body or a building, how do you view the body of Christ? What difference does it make in our understanding of the Christian's practice of faith? Mm. Well, thank you for, for having me on first. Um, it's a privilege to, to be here. Um, <clears throat> my voice may be a little funny, funky because of the all the smoke that's in the air because I did leave the house today. Um, for me, you know, I think, uh, you know, I grew up going to church. Um, and so church was the place where you go. Um, and it probably wasn't until I was a, an adult that um, somebody said church is in the building. That um, I remember the church that I went to in, in college was it met in the basement of a comedy store on a Sunday morning. So every 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 day, we, every Sunday we'd go in and, you know, you'd be smelling the night before. And, but I, and I remember there was like a coolness to it, you know, there was like a cool, like, wow, that's pretty, that's pretty out of the box. But I think it, it wasn't even then, it was even after that when somebody was like, well, the, the church, you know, think about what the church was like in the, in the days uh, of the apostles. They met in, in, in homes. They met in, in, in small groups uh, in, in their homes. And think about what the, what the Bible says about what the gathered body looks like um you know so for me like romans 12 is huge right like just as each of us have one body with many members so in christ we though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others and that's you know that 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 sense of um interconnectedness that sense of being part of something that is active and living and not just you know um sort of stale and stuck um, makes a huge difference, even just in the, in the way that you think about it. Um, and so, so I'll, I'll start with that sort of like, there's one of those things is in one place. It's not going anywhere. It's not moving anywhere. And there's, there is, you know, there is a beauty and an, and a, and a truth to that aspect of what the church is, right? Like there's a church that has existed for 2000 years. And so there's a beauty to the, to the resilience and the testament to the, the spirit's protection of, of God's family. And at the same time for us as in terms of our role and our um, agency, I think the body um, piece of it is, is that sense of, all right, well, we got, you got to move. If you want to be, if you're living, you're moving and you're That's doing, right. and you are um, engaged and and then you know breaking down all of the, the 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 analogy even further of like what does it mean for us to be one member one part of that body um how do we contribute um because every part has a part to play so um i'd start there you know i'm nodding my head in agreement and i believe what you say uh but as a bibliophile that library behind you uh it lends to your credibility mm. Y'all can't see it, but there are <laughs> lots of books in the background. As a recovler, not, not even. As a bibliophile, mm -hmm. uh, it, it says something about you. So I, I appreciate that. When you were talking, I remember that one of the first churches that I joined as an adult 
first met in a club. They didn't have a building mm. yet, and I had not thought about that. They also, then they moved, we moved to a high school uh, before mm -hmm. we were able to purchase a building. So that that's so interesting that we share that similar experience. I also was reminded while you were speaking that someone, <laughs> there was this, this phrase circling around in our conversations when I was on a college campus, and they were saying things like, um, going to a church doesn't make you a Christian. And I did not get it at the time. Boy, mm. does it make sense now. Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mm -hmm. make you a Christian just like you know just because you pull up into a garage it doesn't make you a car and I thought what are you talking about <laughs> I go to church twice on Sunday and I make That's sure you, you know oh lord my midweek bible study of course it does we need to go to church more and more and more mm. <sighs> mm -hmm. Boy, mm -hmm. happy no morning. I mean I'm, I, I mean I think that that the the reality is uh every single one of us as part of the body of Christ has the seed to be a church anywhere we go. Well, right. Come on. And there's preach. nowhere. There's nowhere that we go that we don't have the spirit of God in us. That's right. So there's nowhere that we go. That is not an embassy of the kingdom. Come and on. so there's nowhere that we go that somebody should not be able to look at us or look at, you know, the way that we talk, the way that we act, the way, what we're doing in, in that moment and say, they've been with God and, and, and to ah. be pointed to the values of God's kingdom and, and the good news and, and what good news really means. Now, do we live up to it a hundred percent all the time? Absolutely not. And, and that's the, another space of, you know, I, I'm sure we'll get into that more later, but um, that, that sense of like, if God's spirit indwells each of us individually and dwells among us, at, at however many, two or more are gathered, then there's the potential and the promise that God's spirit is bringing God's life into that space all the time. That redefines my understanding of evangelism because we were taught we had to get him into the church building and let the pastor, mm -hmm. you catch him, God will clean him. But here mm. God, I am that wherever I am, Christ is also, and that I am a representation of Christ, which we say all the time. Boy, doesn't yeah. that remind you that you are the head, shoulders, knees, and toes. Speaking of which, since we are that, why do Christians struggle to support each other, to bear witness, um, and to bear with one another, even for the sake of unity? Mm. We're a body, but we struggle uh, to come together. Why is that? Um, okay, short answer is, and then I'll elaborate. Short answer, I think we've lost sight of the head. Um. I think we have lost sight that we have forgotten that Christ is the head, not any of us. Preach, sir. Um, and, and so, uh, so I'll expand a little bit. The the, um, I'll start here. If the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, and these two are like one another, so it is as you love your neighbor as you love yourself that you show your love for God. Then um, uh, Pastor Rich Velotas in New York, in uh, New Life Fellowship in New York, he describes sin as failure to love. Right? If if the greatest commandments are about love, then sin is failure to love. Uh, I think the the phrase that's typically um, attributed to Augustine is "incurvatus in se," right? <laughs> Life turned inwards. It's turned inwards. You are mustering. And Paul. Paul, Paul talks about it in Romans 7. I do, I do what I don't want to do. I don't do what I want to do. 
and there's this sense in which like we have become curved inwards mm. on ourselves which is the natural bent it's the natural self-protective understanding like that it th there's a way in which like i don't if somebody is is bent bending in on themselves curving in on themselves kind of tending toward thin and i don't mean that in the judgmental like oh you are completely 100 percent in charge of your uh, agency and and you chose to do this wrong like i don't i don't buy that i think sin is in the water that we're that we're swimming in sin is in the air that we're breathing like all the systems and structures that lend themselves to shape and warp our 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 consciousness and our mentalities so that that's why we need the spirit to break in and, and break a lot of those those bondages you know I, I think maybe an analogy is like um pandemic just happened natural inclination in that is to cocoon even more than we otherwise might right because we got to survive we got to figure it out we uh, i don't have the energy i don't have the the, the the mental capacity, the emotional capacity. I don't, you know, I'm just trying to take care of myself and and like maybe the, the few people that I know and love and care about that I that I can can do that for. Like that's completely like it that's a natural curving in because you gotta protect. But the the problem is like when that becomes your 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 default. Yeah. Rather than the openness that God shows that is the way to that that's what love is love is not just like i got mine i got i gotta figure out mine i gotta take care of mine love is saying there's i am i am formed i am healed i am made whole as i open up and and am that presence for others and and that is the example the example that christ showed us mm. right like mm. in in christ all the fullness of god was made to dwell in Christ, all the fullness of the God who is love was made to dwell. Yes. In Christ, we see what God is really like. In Christ, we see what we, as those made in the image of the God who is love, were made to be like. So I think that so often we lose sight of, when we lose sight of Jesus as the head and, and of that sort of like grounding, motivating characteristic of love, that central characteristic of love, then we devolve into like, oh, well, my way of doing it is, you know, I follow Jesus like this. I follow Jesus like that. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't like the way that you follow Jesus because what, we do, what we're doing is simply slapping on the label of Christian or Christ-like onto whatever we would be doing otherwise instead of thinking, well, what is the most loving thing that I could do in this situation? Because that's probably what Jesus would have me do and that's probably what Jesus would do. And so I think that we, that's where, you know, listen, I know that this is not going to create like, you know, it, it just, just me saying, well, we got to be more like Jesus and we got to be more loving. Like, that's not going to create this utopia of like everybody agreeing on everything. I don't think that's what the diversity and the beauty and glory of God's kingdom looks like, but at least we have a better attitude and posture as we go about it, that we know what we're united on, that we're united around Christ, that we're united around what Christ's character is, what Christ's mission is, because, you know, so often, even that concept of unity in itself, like, why are we holding together? Why, why are we holding together? Are we just holding together because some folks got offended or, you know, excuse me, 
uh, or I think that that when I hear the word unities, I've heard it used to suppress, um, to quiet dissent, to shut up the the, the protests and the prophets, um, to cover over abuse. Um, and what what the unity of the gospel is, is that centering to bear with one another in love, love that tells the truth, love that shows grace, love that looks like Jesus. So that's. I think that when we lose sight of Jesus, then our head, then the body struggles to stay together. With that being said, are there places where the church as a body or building is buckling? And if so, why is this happening? Uh, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't wait long on that one. Uh, No, no, no. Yes. I mean, you know, you don't, we don't need a PhD. You can just look at the church and, and see it. Um, you can see the what witness is it of the church. crushing under the weight of? I mean, I, I do think... So I didn't grow up in the U.S. So um, I grew up in Hong Kong. I spent time in, in England. Um, I came to the U.S. in my 20s. And so both of those places, uh, the U.K. is still probably like nominally culturally Christian. But both of those places, like practicing Christianity is in the small, small percentages. And that's, um, it's a refining crucible of a time where like, if you don't, you, you don't just become a Christian, you don't just go to church because it's cool or it's going to get you clout or whatever. Like in those settings, like if you're in those spaces, and you're choosing to be in those spaces, then you, you're choosing to be in those spaces. Like there is a, uh, um, a refinement that happens that I think here, I remember moving here and being like, there are how many denominations here? Why are there so many denominations here? Like, and, and I remember that sense of like, Oh, even going to seminary and, and so many folks who had gone to like Christian schools and, you know, Christian homeschools and Christian colleges and universities. And I was like, wait, like, but why don't, why don't our lives look like Jesus? Like, isn't that part of the, what it means to, to be a Christian is that we're trying to not just like, and and I think social media offers the, the, uh, the the perfect analogy. We're not just following Jesus in a social media sense, right. Where, where you get to, you know, you, you I like that. I like what you said. I'm going to share this quote, you know, <laughs> but like it is not functionally or tangibly making a difference in my life. Uh, like following Jesus to be a disciple, that word means to be a learner and to be an apprentice. And that means that we as Christians are learning to live as Jesus would if he were in our place. And I think so often what it means to be a Christian has, that's lost its power in a country where there is a cultural, there's still a cultural sort of clout to be gained from, from, from being a Christian in some ways, right? Because that's still the norm, even if it's a particular shape, shape and shade of Christianity that many times does not look like Jesus. Um, And so I think that, that, Maybe I would start there. Like, number one, we need to get back to that, that, that place of recognizing that to be a disciple is not, to be a Christian 
is not to be, a, you know, been given a, a membership to a club. That's not the thing, right? The church is a body, not a club. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. And so that means that we have a responsibility. We are representatives. We are ambassadors. Um, you know, I think that, that what I said earlier about, you know, if the spirit of God dwells in us, we are representatives of God in the world. We are, you know, uh, I forget where I heard it, but sort of everywhere we go, there's, we're, we're planting an, an embassy um, of God's kingdom. And, and I think another spot where, where it's buckling is that, um, for, for certain iterations of the American church, like there is a disconnect from the least of these, um, is that when Christianity, for especially for white evangelical majority majority became came into power and it became sort of the cultural norm, you lose that sense that the Bible was written from the underside of history. It was written for those, you know, as Howard Thurman would say, those whose backs are against the wall. That it is that 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 the Christian faith is, I think he said, like a survival mechanism for folks whose backs are against the wall. Now in the Bible, in ancient Near East times, thousands of years ago, those were the four were poor widows, orphans, and immigrants. Those who were vulnerable, those who were likely to be taken advantage of, those who, to put it another way, those whose image of godness was most likely to be tarnished and to be abused and to be trodden on. And if we lose sight of that, I remember reading Jesus and the Disinherited and how it completely transformed my faith because I grew up in a middle class, middle class, you know, Christian, like Baptist upbringing that was like, you do do these things and you don't do these things. And that's what it means to be a Christian. And there was like this both sidesness to it of like, God loves everyone. Yes, but God doesn't love everyone in the same way. Like, I have a two and a four-year-old. I love both of them. I don't treat both of them the same because they have different needs. If one of them is wailing on the floor and the other one's happily playing away, like I'm giving both of them band-aids is not what I'm supposed to be doing. Like I want, I need to be taking care of the one who's in need. Um, now, does that mean that I neglect the other one, that I don't love them? No, that's not what it looks like. But what we've done many of us have done um and certainly what sort of majority church white white evangelical church has done is say oh like god loves everyone therefore like don't you can't you can't talk about the rich because god loves the rich too and you're like yeah and show me that scripture so i mean i think that um so i think that our I don't know. I, I I guess I'm bringing it home like this. One 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 reason I think that that um the church is buckling is because oh, and I think this is true all over. It just looks a little bit different depending on sort of the particularities of context and situation. But like our our ability our inability to acknowledge our sin. Mm -hmm. 
our inability to acknowledge our failures to love. And that's true across the board. Like no, no church, no denomination, no, no individual Christian gets it right all the time. We all hurt others. We, we have all left opportunities on the table to bear witness to the gospel because we, we've all been hurt by others, right? Like we, none of us grew up in this perfect, pristine environment where, you know, like, and, and, and so un, unless and until we work through our hurts, the ways that we've been hurt, the ways that we've been traumatized, like we just kind of play that out on, our, on, on others, usually unconsciously. And, and there's like, and that plays itself out communally, familially, it plays itself out in churches, um and i think that's that's one of the reasons even just like hey if you don't acknowledge when you're bleeding out like you're gonna fall apart if you don't acknowledge that there is something wrong with you that even needs treatment that even needs healing that even needs addressing how will you be healthy how will you be whole um so what then I guess my final question is this, what, what is your prayer for the North American church? What should Christians be saying on bended knee? Oh, um, I'm sorry for the wrong I've done. Uh, I think that my prayer, that's that, I think that's the first the first thing, self, self-awareness and repentance, the ability to say, I'm sorry for the wrong I've done. You know, so, so oftentimes when um, this is, this tends to be in churches more than in uh, sort of non-Christian job interviews. But when, you know, friends would ask like, what, what, what's a good question to ask? Like the, the lead pastor or whoever's interviewing me. And I would say, um, you should ask, uh, when was the last time you were wrong and how did you acknowledge it? That's so good. So good. N- n- no, nobody wants to answer that question, but it is an indicator of that awareness, that, that, that self-awareness, um, because it's so easy in, in, in Christian circles to like, and, and, you know, to, to over-spiritualize, to think of any, uh, any opposition as spiritual opposition as like, this is the enemy coming against me. This is the enemy. I was coming getting ready to us. say it. The like, devil is busy. <laughs> the devil is busy. Like, and sometimes it's like, no, like God's just trying to refine you. God's trying to use because that's how God works. God's trying to use other people in a setting where like, hopefully there's relational connectedness to be able to hold that together. God's actually giving you the invitation to grow and to grow up by acknowledging like, yeah, like I actually did hurt somebody, even if I didn't intend to do it, especially if I didn't intend to do it. Um, So I think prayer one is for self-awareness and repentance. I think prayer two is for boldness and courage um, for us to say there is a better way for, for us to, to, to live it out, to point to it, to, to, to talk about it. Um, for us to say, hey, the ways of um, the ways that white supremacy has structured our society is not the way that God would have it. 
for the ways that our um, gun sickness has said, well, you know, there's no way to stop this. I'm like, I've lived in other places in the world. I did not grow up with a single whatever it is that all the practices and exercises that they're doing in schools, even for kids, my, my son's age at four years old, like they're, they're, they don't call it that. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I, most other places or many other places in the world, that's not the way it is. And that's not the way it has to be. There is a better way. Um, And that's what it looks like when the kingdom of God is here on earth as in heaven is that our kids and our grown-ups live in safety. That's that's that that line, right? Every person will have their own vine and their own fig tree, and they will not fear. Um, and then the third prayer, I think, for humble love, to tie those things together. Um, there's a beautiful quote from Dostoevsky. I think it's in the Brothers Karamazov. I, I, I pulled it up, so I'll read it. I didn't memorize this. I'm not going to, not that good. But um, Dostoevsky would say, at, at, some, at some thoughts, one stands perplexed, especially at the sight of men's and humanity's sin, and wonders whether one should use force or humble love. Always decide to use humble love. If you resolve on that, once and for all, you may subdue the whole world. Loving humility is marvelously strong, strongest of all things, and there is nothing like it. And I would say Christ embodied that. Christ was humble love embodied with both that sort of self-awareness, like knowing of who he was, knowing that the temptations, the inclinations, you see that in the the wilderness when he was tempted, knowing what what, what he might be tempted to do, but also having the boldness and courage to say, no, there's a better way. Like you don't have to uh, ostracize this woman because she has a, a, a physical condition like I will heal her and then bring her back into the community. There are other ways than feeding into the patriarchal society that that brings the woman committed caught in adultery to be stoned, but leaves the man unnamed. Right? Like well, there are better ways. There are better, ways. better ways. And so uh, that's my prayer. I mean, in the short, it's to be like Jesus, but but you know, sometimes that needs unpacking because we all unfortunately have different images of what Jesus looks like. May it be so. May all be well. Thank you so much for your time and for the ways in which you've you've borne witness today. My faith is certainly enriched and I thank God for you. And I'm so glad that I'm connected to you, head, shoulders, knees, and toes. How about that? Amen. Amen. I'm really glad. Thank you for the opportunity. It's a privilege. Thank you, Pastor Justin. I want to thank our guest, Justin Fung, and extend to you, our listeners, an opportunity to know this Jesus, who embodies a faith built on relationships that you can bring your whole self to. Head, shoulders, knees, and toes. This concludes this episode of the podcast, but not the conversation. We must keep up the work of bodybuilding. Head over to our Fellowship Hour at Raceless Gospel Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and Raceless Gospel Pod on Twitter. Absent in the body, but present in the Wi-Fi spirit. I'll see you there. On next week's episode of the Raceless Gospel Podcast, we'll hear from Miguel De La Torre, 
and we'll ruminate on what the North American church stands on and why things still look shaky. 